I'm delighted to be joined by former Peterborough United defender Adam Drury. Um, Adam, first and foremost, obviously, um, in, in the situation we all find ourselves in at the minute, I'm guessing you're, you know, struggling around the house, aren't you? Trying to think of something to do. Um, well, yeah, I've, I've got plenty to do. Plenty of DIY tasks, actually. In the middle of painting and painting kitchens, bathrooms, doing a bit of everything. So, soon the lockdown's over, a bit of freedom would be great. Yeah, because you obviously work at a football club, so obviously you know... Um, you know exactly what the situation is for, for everybody in the game at the moment. You're just waiting for the green light, I guess. Um, yeah, because obviously I coach and then at weekends I host the Legends Lounge at Norwich City. Um, so obviously there's no football at the minute and you can't have groups of people so we can't train the lads we coach. So yeah, it's exactly the same as everyone else and it's tough times but hopefully they'll be over soon. Yeah, I want to uh, take you back to your days as a player at Peterborough United. It seems a remarkable thing to say because you, you still look relatively young Adam to be honest but you actually made your debut in 1996 which I mean I was what 14 at that time so um, I mean I as far as I can recall your debut was away at Watford um, in a nil-nil draw. Was, yeah. uh, do you remember uh, anything? I, I do yeah well actually I think I came on the season before at the very end of that season I think it was Mickey House or away at Oxford someone like that. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Were, we were getting beat but I just remember it because I was kind of in that crossover between managers and eras of football where sort of towards my later times at Peterborough was obviously health and all that sort of stuff and what you eat and all that. But I remember because I travelled to Bristol Rovers away in 95, around that time, like the end of 95, and I was on the bench. But the night before, I remember having the pre-match meal as it was then. It was steak and chips with onion rings and a fried egg on top. I was like, I could get used to this, but then by obviously fast forward three or four years and it was past all the sources. But yeah, so I made the bench then and didn't get on. It was a great experience. The end of that season came on away against Oxford. But I think they do, I think they might have already been promoted as party time for them or whatever it was. But I was just delighted to get on for 15 odd minutes. And the next year, um, we started the game away at Watford and we drew 0 0. And that was where kind of it all started for me. And people gave me my chance. And it was Baz at the time. Yeah, have a bit of faith in me. Yeah, obviously, I mean, I think you 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 featured in a number of games that season, including the that ridiculous six three against um, Wickham, I think it was. Um, I mean, what, what was was Barry someone that just gave you confidence? Go out there and enjoy it. I'd, I'd imagine he he didn't oversimplify things. It was a case of just go out there and do your stuff. Yeah, it was. Well, when Baz came in, I'd obviously done my youth team days and been offered those me, Tom Meredith, Nile, and they all got contracts, but they were one year not like uh, sort of rolling contracts, month to month type things. And Baz came with this reputation, I think it was from Birmingham, of having a revolving door for players. So we were a little bit, obviously being young lads, thinking, oh, we're going to even get started. But he came in, did pre-season, and then from there, within, I don't know, a couple of months, got a three-year contract because he liked what he'd seen. We'd done things properly. And then went from there, and he was. He, he was harsh, but fair. You knew where he stood with Baz, and I think it set me in good stead. Like, you don't get many managers like Baz anymore that sort of shouting and everyone's in, shouting and raving at you. You've seen the videos, but no, he wasn't. He was always first class for me. And he always said at the same time, if things, if I did well, I'd get rewarded. So I had two or three new contracts in my time at the club. And at the same time, if someone bigger or a better move came along, he wouldn't stand in my way. Hmm. Was that was that important for for a young player that you you, you could go out and try and express yourself? Because I, I guess you know if you're a striker, the pressure is on to score goals. If it's a, a goalkeeper, then obviously you know if you make a mistake, then it's going to sort of be a, be talked about for ages. As a, as a left back, I, I guess the most important thing was to have that communication with the people alongside you. It was, yeah. And I was lucky in the fact that 
in my youth team or as I went through my youth team days, I had Chris Turner there. So like it was the Ken Charlie era, Mickey House, all, all that sort of so I had a lot of older heads around being a young lad coming into the team or around the team. Uh, Andy Edwards, people like that. Gay Breen was about as I sort of broke into the first team. And someone like Chris Turner, God bless him, he was brilliant for me. He took me day in, day out, 1v1 defending, which was what I made a name for myself, being a good defender. And a big part of that was to him, Jim Walker, Mickey Housel. Then you had the likes of Keith Oakes as well. So even if you were injured, you didn't get a rest and he did things properly. And then you, yeah. had, like, you had the senior pros as well, people like Dave Farrell, Tiles at the time, who played a lot of games. So it was, it was, and on top of that, then Baz was there and he gave it, it was good grounding. He, it was, there was no hiding place. If you did something well, they'd all tell you. If you didn't, they'd let you know. So, but speaking to a lot of former players, speaking to a lot of former players, um, particularly ones that sort of came through youth ranks, one of the first things they said was that you, you needed to have the right attitude. And, and obviously, you just saying what you said there, that you're prepared to sort of put the work in on the training ground, because often, you know, players will just rely on ability, but you can't just rely on ability. You need everything else around it. Is that what you found when you were sort of breaking in, that you needed to make sure you, you worked really hard on the training ground? It was, yeah, because at the time as well, there was the likes of Steve Welsh, and I remember watching him in pre-season, some of the running we were doing, and obviously he was, with his army background, he'd go through the pain barrier and his grit and determination. You had him, you had Tony Spear and these sort of guys. And then you had the younger element at the time, which was like the Andy Fennells and that, who were, break, who were before me breaking in, and Mark Tyler to get into the team. And it was, you had to have, you had to train properly. You had still had to do things right to get in around it. And it was, that was what it was. It was all about your grounding. I went on loan to Stanford, as well with Steve Evans was manager. And there there's a few older pros or ex-pros there, like Milton Graham, Darren Eady, people like that. So that was brilliant for me to go and play non-league football where people are getting paid, but winning and losing means something because youth team football is great. But then you go, some people, it's their livelihoods. So it was, it was, and it was tough. It wasn't easy. And I remember there's some games in Baz's early days where I got dragged at half time as a left back, which was never good for you. But it makes you or breaks you. Yeah, it's, it's funny because you speak to players nowadays and, uh, you know, some are, some are reluctant to go out on loan and, and experience sort of men's football and, and just want to, you know, play reserve team football and use that as a grounding to get into first team football. But particularly back then, I guess, the, the, the local scene as well was, was thriving. So the opportunity to, to go out and, and, as you say, play for three points, play for, for livelihoods, it made a, meant a lot to those people. And I, I guess that you learn more well, not more, but you learned a lot during that period of what it means to, to win games. I did, yeah. And I think you've hit the nail on the head with the reserve team football. Back then, I remember you'd play almost a full season, whereas now there's odd games here and there. Back then, it was, right, you play, there was a game, first thing you're going on a Tuesday night, if you didn't play or you're on the bench, you played in the reserves on the Wednesday. And I don't think, obviously, the mentality has changed and the way football has changed. But for me, I loved it. You'd get some of the pros that maybe didn't want to be there, but once you start playing, you get on with it. You're coming back from injury. And you play against lads that were first-team players a lot of the time who maybe weren't getting game time, needed games, and it was a proper league. And I, I did. That was a big part for me, the reserve team football and going on loan. Because you can still make mistakes. You'd still get a rollicking if you didn't do things right. But at the same time, if you played well, that's part of the reason I got myself in there around the first team. So I was doing well in the reserves week in, week out. Mm. And when you got into the team, uh, particularly the season after that you'd made your breakthrough, um, you became... Probably, I mean, I was, I was a supporter, I still am a supporter, but I remember, you know, watching the games and you knew that you, you, you sort of looked across the, the team lineup and knew that Adam Drury would be left back. It was almost like it was the, the sort of consistent selection. If, if, if you weren't playing, there was a problem. Um, did, did you feel that you got into some kind of 
um, consistency and routine because you were playing week in, week out? Yeah, I did. I got into a rhythm and that sort of thing of feeling wanted and the fans and everyone taking to you being a young kid coming into the team. And the older pros are great as well. And it does confidence. There's a big part of it, what goes on in your head. There's a big, because everyone's got ability when they get to a certain level of football, but it's how you think about things, how you get on with things. And I did then. And I think it's somewhere towards the end that I was probably 18, 19 around that time. I got myself a Ronaldo's gold card, so I knew I'd made it. <laughs> and, and, and I'd imagine you, you fully utilised that card as well. I was going to say, yeah, the, the, it was those days with no camera phones and that sort of stuff. You could enjoy a night out without getting in any trouble. It's, it's funny because, as I say, you, you were sort of a, a fullback that wanted to get forward. Um, I, I suppose that the, the modern era, everyone looks at a fullback and thinks, right, they've got to essentially be a wing back and do both roles. But you were someone that wanted yeah. to join in and, and, and get forward. And, and, and fitness obviously played a key role in that particular position because without it, you, you really would, would struggle. Did you, did you thrive on that opportunity to sort of link in with the midfielder and, and, and go past him? Yeah, I did. Yeah, it was never, I wouldn't say it was ever a massive part of my game because I was kind of brought up on the... I remember when Chris Turner, I mentioned already, saying we'd be up at I at the old golf course training and after training everyone else would go do shooting and crossing and finishing I'd be doing 1v1s or 2v1s like overloads against me and to this day I've said it in many an interview that was the reason I became a footballer a big part of it because I got so good at defending and it made one of my attributes but back then as well wingers you played a lot of teams played 4-4-2 with two out and out wingers so I'd have a right winger against me so my job first and foremost before most games would be right there's a report come in the two wingers are their best players stop the supply so I was always taught, first and foremost, that was my job. And then as I got older and the game changed, you went and joined in a bit more. Mm. Probably is why my goal scoring record was so bad. You did score, you did score a great one, though, against Tull, for recollection. I think that, the only reason... No one's I, ever seen this, goal. No one's ever seen this. I talk about it all the time. I need to find it. Well, the thing about that game is that I remember two things. A, the fact you scored, and B, I think it was a business thing. They're giving away a load of free tickets in the South Stand mm. um, to, like, Thomas Cook and people like that. So there was quite a lot of people that side and I think the goal I was in London Road at the time and the goal came down that side and um, yeah, I, 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 I remember thinking at the time blimey why can't you do that every week but that's what, I, that's what I thought that's exactly what I thought especially with my right foot but, but it, that's it, the only time I've ever scored my right foot yeah, but it happened. Whether whether we whether we can find it or not is a different thing. But we we uh, the the, yeah. the the, the uh, that that definitely sticks in my memory. And and, and I guess that um, you know for for someone that sort of come through the academy, that was a great feeling to to score you. I'm oh. pretty sure that was your first. Uh, yeah, no, Bre Brentford, Brentford. Yeah, Brentford away yeah. was the first. Matty Evans made his debut that day. Mm -hmm. That was where Matty Evans is. Uh, 16 made his debut and then he went off with about three minutes left and I went up to left wing and then scored we were I think we were already relegated yes we, but we won one nil we won one nil yeah so that was my, from about two yards out nearly missed it nearly put it over but um yeah no it was it was something that I never I wouldn't say bothered me but nowadays like you said the game's changed fullbacks have to join in a lot more and it was weird because towards the end of my career obviously going from Norwich and then went up north to Leeds I was I was known for being not a ball player, because that's probably me exaggerating, but I went up there and they said about having a decent left foot and stuff, but I was always sort of known before that as being an out-and-out -out defender, mm. which is what I made a name for myself as. But no, if I ever got the chance to join in, then too right, I'd go forward. Didn't, just didn't get back that quick, probably. That was the reason. You talked about Chris Turner and the work he did on a, a sort of a one-with-the-one defender. Um, can you remember some of the things he said? Because obviously 
particularly when you're coming up against different types of wingers, you have to obviously adapt your game as a fullback. Ultimately, again, it's stopping the supply or making sure they don't get to the byline or make yourself look silly. And I guess different, different wingers will have different things. Was it a case of making sure you had the right balance to be successful as a 1v1 defender? Yeah, it was. Yeah, footwork, all that sort of stuff. Don't, don't dive in, stay on your feet. If you get a chance to lift them, as he used to say, lift them, put them in the air. And it was hard as nails. And he'd always remember we'd be training, we'd be doing repetition after repetition. And he'd always went, come on, one more round of toast. Last one, last round of toast. And I used to remember it. And as soon as you heard them words, you're like, thank God we're nearly done. But it was, it, it was, it was hard work, but it was brilliant. And it was all that sort of stuff, you know, like getting the basics right. And there was the winger's job to go past you. I remember him always saying, it's their job to beat you, not for you to get the ball off them. Their job is for them to go past you. So if you stand up and get in their way, it was, it was simple effective. Mm. Of course, the, the game changed in terms of referees and everything. Back then, you probably could stick, stick a winger in the stand and get away with it a little bit more, but probably nowadays, you do that, you got a yellow card after a minute. Did you have I was going to say, yeah. Did, did you sort of think to yourself, right, I'm, I'm gonna be a, is it going to be a tactical smash here, or am I just going to leave, leave one on him so he knows I'm not just uh, you know, going to let you do whatever? Yeah, you well, it was, you're right. You could get away with it a bit more early days. Some of the tackles then, like you said, there'd be straight red cards now, some of the tackles I saw in games. But it was, it was kind of a little bit tactical in the stats factor. You would, you'd let them know about, you knew certain wingers you played against didn't like that. So after that, their first touch would be a bit looser. They'd give the ball away or bounce off more. They wouldn't really want it. They'd stand closer to you. Mm. So it was all those sort of mind games, really, those sort of things. And as time goes on, you obviously had a, a wonderful relationship with David Farrell in terms of um, what, what he could do in front of you. He, 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 from recollection, Faz, Faz was someone who would do his fair share of defending as well. I, I guess that, that was ideal for you as a fullback. You don't want a, a winger that's... Exactly. Perfect. Yeah, I didn't have to go forward. Just give him the ball. Um, yeah, it's him, Happy Evanson, anyone like that. When you had a winger in front of you a lot of time, it was not don't get in their way, but they were so good 1v1 taking people on, just give them the ball and leave them to it. Obviously, Faz was lightning quick, both-footed. So it was, it was a joy to play with people like that, just give them the ball. Matthew Evans, a lot more left-footed, but an out-and-out -out winger. Give him the ball and let him get on with it. Support mm. where you can. And then sometimes you can do their job for them. They don't have to come back and defend. They can cheat a little bit and stay a bit higher up the pitch. Who mm. was better then, that of Etherington and Farrell? Or is it hard to compare because they're slightly different? Yeah, I was going to say, they were, they were very different, I thought, in the way they played. Matty Close, close control and dribbling skills whereas Faz needed a bit more open space to run into for the ball in front of him but both brilliant, brilliant players to play in different class in the way they played obviously had massive impacts on Peter mm. When we speak to the uh, players from the uh, the era the more recent era obviously of promotions and playoffs and, and what it was like in the build up to it speaking to others involved in everything around the, the semi-finals against Barnet it seemed like we're talking obviously in, in the year 2000 it seems like that you kind of um, were confident in the semi-finals with regards to Barnet, whereby the yeah. final was obviously more an underdog thing. Is that how you felt as a player, preparation for the playoffs, that, you know, um, Barnet away to start and then obviously the second leg at home, you, you were relatively confident you get the job done? Yeah, I think, I think there was a, a belief in the camp that, that by that point, no matter who we played, not just because it was Barnet, I think whoever we played, we fancied our chances, we were doing well, we got ourselves to the playoffs but yeah there was I think there was, there was not an overconfidence or anything like that but I think it felt like sometimes you get that feeling of it's our time you're on a roll and the, the way the lads feel and the way you're trained all that sort of stuff the group the way it was together it was a great group that things were going to go well and it proved that way. 
it was strange, really, because when, when you analyse that season, everyone talks about a game of two halves in, in terms of a, of, a, of a 90 minutes. But obviously, everything seemed to be going pear-shaped in that season up until, um, obviously, January time. Obviously, Wayne Turner came in. Um, players left, obviously. I think um, it was Matthew and Simon both left, didn't they, in, in, in and around that yeah, yeah. time at the, after a 5-0 defeat against Rotherham, I think it was, that year. Um, I mean, yeah, you couldn't have really foreseen, I guess, how it would end. No, because I think, I don't know if it was that season or not, but was it the end of that season as well? I think we might have gone to Chester or somewhere like that, and they actually got relegated. Mm-hmm. I think we might have beaten 1-0, and it was kind of, it's weird how, because that could easily have been us with the way we were going up until Christmas, you know, like the sort of form we were in and that sort of stuff. And Wayne Turner, someone actually mentioned there, I remember him coming in, and I liked the way he was. He was good in terms of the way he wanted to play football and some of the hints and tips he gave. And he wanted the ball on the floor and trying to play. And I think maybe it just gave us a fresh energy. I don't really know. Mm. Obviously, losing sights, players of Simon Davis and Matthew's ability was a huge loss. But then we just kicked on again. And then by the time you get on that sort of roll and you get to the end of the season, you do, you have that belief, thinking, you know what, this could be our time, you know. We've got a chance here. Mm. Although I didn't remember much of the final, so. <laughs> that Rotherham game might well have been rock bottom because if I remember rightly, the Rotherham game happened. I think Simon and Matty both came off at half time and then were sold obviously a couple of days later. So from a fan perspective, having been there, I remember thinking, this is we're we're in real trouble here because you know we've lost two of our better players, we've just got battered. But I guess in football sometimes you can hit a level and you can only go really one way. And I guess the you know, the pressure was slightly off at that point. And as you say, Wayne came in and you got on a bit of a run. It is, yeah, because sometimes it does work that way. You think, well, what else, what, what else can go wrong or what else can... You said there's only one way really to go then. You, you sink or swim. And that's kind of what it was then. Like We've got to kick on and get ourselves out of trouble or accept defeat kind of thing. And we didn't. We went the other way, thankfully. Mm. And the playoff game, the second leg, um, obviously Faz scored arguably the uh, the greatest hat-trick you'll see. And unfortunately for you, with your goal not appearing anywhere on YouTube, you can definitely see Faz's on there. Um, <laughs> I, I, I guess as a... Or he'll talk about him. Or he'll talk about him. He's yeah, a, I, think, I think for for a period of time, he was a teacher and part of the education was to show his, show the kids the, uh, the hat-trick to show that he played. But, um, <laughs> I mean, as, as a teammate of his and played in that game, you must have been thinking, wow, what am I, what am I seeing here? It was, yes. Like I said, sometimes players can be unplayable. And it was one of those evenings where whatever he did, the goals he scored, the standard of them was like, wow. And it was just one of those things, sometimes when it's your night or your time, and that was it. And it's one of those nights that will be talked about like we are now well into history. Mm. And he fully deserved it because it was unbelievable. And it's strange, like most players would go out and, and really celebrate. And I think he went home and had a pizza at Park Farm in his house. Um, did, did any of the players um, sort of drink for him that night? Um, I can't really remember if I'm honest, so probably, yeah, we did. Um, uh, I think we did, but obviously you always know you've got another game coming up. That's the thing, you haven't actually, although you've got to the final, you haven't won anything. Mm. So it's kind of like, you're happy, but you've got to be a bit, well, we're going to be back training, we've got to prepare for the final. Mm. So, yeah, that doesn't surprise me that Faz went over and had pizza. Um, speaking to some of the players, obviously, involved in terms of the preparation, I think you went away to Jersey Ahead of um, ahead of Wembley and had a bit of sort of team bonding at a spa or something along those lines. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That, 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 doesn't, that doesn't sound like Baz preparation. That <laughs> it worked, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we did. We had a few days away. I mean, that, that was obviously um, a bit rare because obviously we didn't have any money to really spend on things like that at the time. But it, as you say, it was it was vital, I guess, in terms of the team togetherness going into a final. It was, and I think that was a big part of it. Like you said, at that point when we hit rock bottom that season, 
to go from there, that's when you, you find a bit about your players. If you've got a group that are together or where everyone goes off in little splinters and talks behind other people's backs or it's their fault, they didn't end up pulling everyone together and then getting on that run. Mm. As, you mentioned, yeah, as you mentioned, you can't remember much of the final. You obviously went off with, with concussion. Um, I mean, I suppose looking back now, you can obviously relive it and, and all that kind of stuff. Did, did, did you remember anything about the game at that point? Um, yeah, I remember the downpour and going out to the pitch and at that point thinking, are we even going to play? Because there was puddles on the pitch and thinking all that to get here, family and friends and everyone in here. But then I remember I was going in for the header. There was a ball down the channel and I should never have headed it. I put my head down too low and got kicked in the forehead. And I remember straight away feeling the blood trickle down. I thought, oh, I'll be all right. Got up and Darlington won a corner. And I lined up for the corner and Tiles obviously was in goal. Said uh, Mark Tiles said to me, add, add. And I was like, well, the corner's that side, and I was facing the wrong way. I didn't even know where I was being taken from. So he had to literally physically turn me around because I stood near him or on the near post. And he said then to one or two of the lads, and I think we carried on for a little bit longer, and I was just in a daze. So they, they obviously that's when I came off. I was yeah. gutted to come off. It was the right thing to do. Did, did, were you trying to protest? Were you sort of saying, like, I'm fine, did, did, you know, let me, let me play? Or was it a case of... Knowing that you're yeah. in the wrong oh, place, I was, but I didn't know. They probably looked at my eyes and thought, Yeah, he doesn't even know who he's looking at, so that's why the reason was to come off. It was the sensible thing to do, obviously, with head injuries and stuff like that. Yeah, and, and obviously, Andy Clark went on to score the winner. Is, is, when people look back at the final, they, they probably, you know, just remember the goal, remember the celebrations, remember the fact it rained, um, but it wasn't. El Clasico in terms of the uh, <laughs> the game itself, but ultimately at the end of the day, it's about winning and getting promotion, and and, and that's where you achieve. Yeah, and that was it. Yeah, you you hit the nail on the head because that is exactly what it's about. Player finals and things like that are brilliant, but you don't want to be the loser. Like that's that's the whole point of it. You, all the whole season, because you, your season extends for two or three weeks, a month longer. The ultimate aim is to win the final. And thankfully, we did that down to Clarky's goal. Because even in the game. Although I don't remember lots of it. I don't think we were great in it either anyway, so. Mm. I mean, what was Clarkey like? Because I, I remember, obviously, interviewing him and um, without being disrespectful to him, he wasn't the, um, how can I put it? He, he wasn't the sharpest tool in the box, um, but he was a pure finisher in terms of what he could provide. And obviously, he came from Wimbledon and, and scored, I mean, I was watching Premier League years the other year, and I think one of the, there was a stat on BBC, I think he won Player of the Month. For for, uh, for the Premier League, so he came with a big big sort of pedigree and and, and really did, was successful for us. He did, yeah. He had a knack as well, yeah. Exactly like you said, of scoring goals, being right place at the right time. Him, I'm trying to think of the forwards at the time when I was there. You had the, over my spell, you had likes of himself, who would obviously won the player final for us. You had Neil McKenzie, who did brilliant. Uh, Kim Kenny was there at a the time. So decent set of forwards. Uh, they were around at the time, Andy Fennell, who unfortunately I thought at the time would go on to do a lot more than what he did when he broke into the team. Uh, but yeah, Andy Clark was one of those ones where, if you'd have seen him in training a lot of the time, you wouldn't have thought he'd play like he did on a match day, but you often find that with forwards. <laughs> they like it in the big stages and they turn up. He did come up with arguably the best excuse as well for failing a drugs test, if my memory serves me correctly. I remember seeing the front page of the paper um, with a, with a cake he'd eaten, it was uh, it was just you couldn't have you couldn't have described it any better in terms of Andy Clark coming up with that. I think. Yeah, exactly. It was probably the perfect fitting for him. Yeah. Um, in terms of after that promotion, um, was was there you know rumours at any point you know while while you were at that level about a move, or was it the case of when the move eventually came for you that it was completely out of the blue? Um, no, there'd been a few teams that had shown an interest, and Baz was great with me, he had always told me. 
Um, I don't know whether the moves were right for, weren't right for him or me, but he did tell me that there was clubs interested. But uh, yeah, Gillingham at the time, I think, are in League One. They'd been having a look. Ipswich had had a look. Um, I think there was one or two others, but nothing was ever concrete. It was never where I felt it was a good move for me or for the club, because it had to be right. Baz had always said that it had to be right for Peter as well, because the club didn't have loads of money, like you said at the time, so it had to be like when Simon went. Cause Simon had gone, Matthew Edmonton had gone. Before that, Billington and McKeever had both gone. So there was players... I always thought Mark Tyler was going to go, but never did. Um, he's still got the same hairstyle now as what he had back then as well. Yeah, and he's, um, he's still just as boring as well. Um, uh, he's, yeah, so he never moved and his hair's never moved either. So, um, But no, and it was it was one of those things where I always wanted to play as high as possible. If that was going to be with Peterborough, brilliant. And there was rumours, but it was kind of that thing where I was just getting on with my football. I was loving playing. I was playing regular first-team football. Um, one of my best, or one of my great good moments was we played Chelsea in the FA Cup. I know we got beat 5-0, mm. but that always stick with me because I remember at the end of the game, I'd played centre-half and I'd played against Zola, which obviously, when you're a lower league team, you get to play one of the big boys. It's like a dream. And I played centre-half. I remember at the end of the game going up to him and saying, could I have his shirt? And he went, yeah, 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 you can get it inside. And I thought, oh, he's done me, he's blagged me, he's just going to go in. Went inside, he'd gone in their dressing room. So... I was in the shower getting changed. We were all getting changed. Took all, got changed. Just come out of the shower and Baz went, oh, someone here to see you. And Zola had come in with his shirt to find me and give me his shirt. And I was like, oh, brilliant. Like, couldn't believe it. Got his shirt. And he, then he actually made a point and said, no, I want yours. So I had to go through all the kit boxes. To get, I don't know what he did with it. Like, it'd probably just be a nice to get rid of it. But, you know, it's just one of those moments when you play against elite level players that he sticks with you. It's probably one of the main shirts that I've got now, shirts that I've got. Because I don't really have them up anywhere, but it's one that I think of when I think about players I played against. They were the memories of Peter, things like that, where how good it is. He's probably got your shirt framed in his room at home. <laughs> um, I'm sure he has. Yeah, I'm sure he has. Um, it would be absolutely uh, amazing if he can actually remember where it is. But that was that green kit as well, wasn't it? So it probably wasn't the uh, wasn't the best one to display. I was say, yeah, I'd be amazed if he could remember that game, let alone the shirt. <laughs> um, can you remember anything about? I mean, as you say, you. you, you I remember going to that game and I remember it being a green kit. And I, I know, um, you know, Gilly um, obviously comes back quite frequently. And um, there's a picture still in the tunnel um, of him looking, well, he looks like he has no idea what's going on with Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank sort of somewhere near him. And um, it, <laughs> what kind of experience was that to, to, to go to Stamford Bridge? Because oh, you, you knew you were on a hiding to nothing. Yeah, of course you are. They're the sort of games where you go to and anything you can do. But you just want to test yourself against the best players. That's what it's for. You want to play against the best. And when you enter the FA Cup in the first round, as you do when you're a lower league team, you want to get to the third round and get a big boy. And we were lucky to do that. I don't know if that was the year we played Oldham. I think, mm -hmm. talking about it again, Tiles had an unbelievable game. Mm. I remember that game. Was... I remember going to that game on the supporters' bus. And um, it was, uh, I remember coming out thinking, God, we've got Chelsea away. And it was just down to Tiles. I can't remember who scored. Um, but it was just literally down to the task. I think it was the only time I've ever seen Swanee give someone a 10 in a newspaper because normally someone plays unbelievable and they get a 6. They did all right. Did so, you ever get a 10? No chance. I'd like if I got a 7 off Swanee. I used to hammer him every week. <laughs> I can't believe he didn't give you a 9. Surely he must have given you a 9 for some game. No, he, probably, he must have given me a half-decent mark somewhere along the line. I spoke to him obviously once I'd moved and retired. I spoke to him a couple of times. I said to him, you're always so tight. All the lads used to wait to see him. And you'd think, oh, with one 3-0 and you get a six. Like, what? I can't have been that bad. 
he stopped doing nah. the, he stopped doing the marks now because there was an era where where they threw threw him into the uh, into the water at Woodlands. I don't know whether that was your era, but I, I well, should have done that sooner then, shouldn't they? Should have done, oh, yeah. done it sooner. There we go. But yeah, that night, that's that cup run, just because how oh, well, probably as a goalkeeper performance, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it hmm. to get us. When you know you've got Chelsea away in the next round, Tiles was unbelievable. Yeah. You mentioned, obviously, the clubs that were in for him. Obviously, you mentioned Ipswich were one of the clubs. Just imagine if he'd have gone there. Um, it, 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 looking back. <laughs> Um, well, it was, it was one of those things, that it, was a, it was a proper interest. I think then they ended up signing a lad called, I think his name was Gary Crofts instead, mm-hmm. around the time. I don't know if they couldn't agree a feel. They were arming in iron and weren't sure. But like I said, Baz at that point was brilliant. He just, he'd keep me in the loop, tell me what was going on, whether they'd agreed a fee or anything like that. And he never had. And like I said, I was happy. I was loving my time at Peter and enjoying playing. So it was never one of those things where I desperately wanted to leave. There was, there was a spell where I thought I was getting to the point where Everyone talks about you as like an 18, 19-year-old youngster. Then you get to sort of 20, 21, everyone starts to think, well, maybe he's going past that a little bit now. You've missed, yeah. not missed the boat, but no one's come in. So, But no, at the same time, I had a great ground in the way to play my football. A place where I loved playing, gave me my chance in football. And I got on brilliantly with everyone at the club and the fans. So. So ultimately, it became the right sort of time to depart when you eventually did. You mentioned the age you were at, and you probably, as you say, got a, a, a bigger grounding as you could possibly get playing week in, week out. Um, and it was about the next stage for you then. It was, yeah. And it wasn't, I think, Peter, in more recent years, with more investment, obviously, different chairman, and, and the way uh, he's back to the club or the way he talks. I follow him on Twitter. I don't actually know him. I've spoken to him on Twitter a couple of times, but I actually like, really like the way he comes across. Um, but at the time when I was there, it was kind of, I'm not saying people aren't a selling club, but back then they were, they had to, to keep things going. So if someone came in, it was almost like as long as it was the right sort of money, you had to leave. But it had to be the right move. And Baz spoke to me. I think we had a game away on a Tuesday night and it got called off. We were on the way to it. And it got called off and he called me down the front of the bus and said, look, Norwich have come in with a agreed a fee. And I was like, right. And he said, have a bit of time to think about it and let me know. And it was at that time spoke to obviously family, friends and obviously having been released from Peterborough at the age of 15, uh, sorry, from Norwich at the age of 15, it seemed like the top time to go back. But I knew they didn't have a left back at the time. So I knew I was going in to play, which was a big thing. I wasn't going to go anywhere to not play. And that's not because I think I deserve to play, but I wanted that chance. I didn't want to go somewhere and not have a chance, just be back up all the time. So I went there and it worked out perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, just talking about some of the players that you obviously had in the dressing room doing your, your posh time uh, I've asked this to, to a number of people in terms of the best players they've played with and I'll ask you that as well but in terms of um, banter because you played in an era where banter you could get away with a little bit obviously nowadays <laughs> yeah. nowadays probably some of the things you, you came up with wouldn't be allowed there'll be PFA involved and all sorts but back, back oh, then who was, yeah. the, who was the big um, big joker within the dressing room? Well early doors when I first was there sort of coming through just finished youth team first year pro you had lights of Tony Spearing who was non-stop Lee Power I remember him turning up one day in a limo and he made out as if he was getting out the back of it as if he was being driven to train in a limo but it turns out it was part of his business and he was driving it and getting in climbing through to the back and getting out of it um, who else was there then I'm trying to think obviously Ken Charlie was there they kind of moved on you had the likes of Matty Gill as he came through into the first team um, Derek Payne uh, I think there was, there was one or two others. And then from that, it was, as I left, I'm trying to think who it would have been at the time I left. You had a, Stevie Castle was there, who was Adam Banner also. But he was another one, Stevie Castle, I should give a mention to. You had some, him and Andy Edwards, the two guys that I looked up to as I was playing, sort of the older guys in the team that were brilliant. 
So Stevie Castle, I remember being terrified of him when I first got in the team. Wherever he, wherever he said went, <laughs> if I had to throw him the ball, I was throwing the ball. But he was another one that was brilliant because he, he, as much as he was like that, he'd praise you and help you through games. And playing my side of the pitch, I remember he had a knee operation. I think he had his cartilage done. And he played two days later. I was like, wow, now that is a football warrior for you who run through brick walls. So yeah, we, no, we, it, was, it was a good mix of banter in the squads. Yeah, were you on the wrong end of anything? Any, any, anything sort of, you know, I mean, take you to the edge where you thought, what on earth did they, what's those guys got? I mean, I've been tied, I've been, you know, during, down the years, it, it's, it happens more to people like me than it does players nowadays because I'm not really represented by a union. But um, I think, um, <laughs> I'd, imagine, I'd imagine back then you were probably thinking, oh God, what's he going to do to me as I walk in here? Yeah, I, just, I remember the days of Fred Barber and Oaksy. When they were around, like when I was, that was my really early days, thinking I don't think I had a birthday for three years because I didn't want them to know. Because <laughs> if it was your birthday, anything could happen. So uh, yeah, it was. Like you said, you have to be careful what you say, otherwise you get the PFA involved. And in terms of best players, I mean, you played with so many um, best players down down the years and different types of players, and sometimes it's hard to say he was the best player I played with because he played in different positions. But um, from your point of view, what, what, what players stood out in terms of ability during your time? Uh, Gary Breen did when I was obviously I was a bit younger then, but he just he was so cultured as a centre back. He'd like in an era when it it was a defenders were defenders and it was head it and kick it. He he was comfy on the ball, tried to play play out. Um, Simon Davis, obviously I knew him growing up as a kid and coming through youth teams and that, but just so elegant to watch on the ball, technically brilliant. Um, I mentioned Matty Edmonton. Uh, trying to think who else would have been in there. Probably Simon Davis would have been the one that stood out. Mm. You know, you could see why everyone, why the clubs that were interested in why he went on and did as well as he did. Matty did as well. But I think Simon was probably the one that stood out the most for me. And his goalies, Tiles was the only goalie that ever played while I was there. <laughs> yeah, well, he, 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 to be fair, he, he still hasn't retired because he doesn't want to uh, say the R word. Um, and, and just <laughs> final, final question, because it's, um, it's interesting. Obviously, people always compile you know the best 11s the best posh 11 ever and you always without a shadow of a doubt are in at left back and whether that's because we've not had any since I don't know but um, <laughs> it must be nice to sort of be recognized by the supporters as as being the best left back and, and why do you think that is why do you think people sort of gravitate to your performances um it's hard maybe because I'm, <laughs> I'm happy. yeah cheers for that um <laughs> Maybe it's because the age I was, and obviously coming in as a defender at left back, like I'm not saying it's easy because scoring goals is one of the hardest things you can do. But if you score goals, people tend to remember it. So maybe at left back it was kind of because I was consistent. Um, so they took to me. They knew what they were going to get week in, week out. Because I think as well as I'm not saying I did brilliantly. I thought I did well, but I think maybe as I got a little bit older and more experienced, I probably got a bit better as well. But I think it was more the fact that. I was a young lad coming in at a time when the team was changing around quite a bit, obviously with Baz taking over and players changing and that sort of stuff, that maybe that bit of stability with me playing most weeks, week in, week out, after I got myself settled in the side. Mm, that's a good answer, to be fair. It's very, very concise. Uh, I suppose I'll, I'll ask a supplementary... Oh, I was just the best left back there. Maybe that's what it was. That could be it. I'll, I'll ask you a final supplementary question then. What makes a good left back? What would you say to... You know, your left back now, you obviously work with the, the, the sort of scholars at, at Norwich now. What, what would you say to someone in your position um, in, in terms of their development? Um, 
Good question. I think, from my point of view, it'll always be, first and foremost, you're a defender. Because I think you hear a lot of nowadays, oh, he's great going forward but can't defend, which is kind of, can be a, someone like Ashley Cole, I think, for me, Paolo Maldini were the two people as left-backs I always looked at and thought, wow, they, they can do everything. So I think, um, always, I, my biggest thing is always work hard. So that was one thing I always did, like, like I said, from someone like a Jim Walker, Chris Turner, them sort of people instilled that in me. Coaches as I was younger, always work hard. Don't be afraid to make mistakes is another thing because you only learn from them. I remember some of the games I spoke about early on, my Peter days, getting dragged at half-time because I was having a stinker, maybe diving in or not doing things properly. It's all about learning from them. That's what it would be, learn from your mistakes. And no one would ever, I think if people know you're trying to do things right for the right reasons, people won't criticise you. Or well, they shouldn't. 